welcome, welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We have former first-round draft pick of the San Jose Sharks, Nick Petrecki, on the podcast. Nick grew up right outside of Albany, New York, played in his youth hockey there before going out to Omaha in the USHL right after Jeff left for two years. Uh, Right after his time in Omaha, he was drafted to San Jose in the first round, like we said, before going on to Boston College, where he played for two years and won a national championship as a freshman. Uh, Nick ended up playing six seasons of pro hockey as a whole and now uh, has transitioned outside of it in the medical device sales business. Uh, What a great conversation we had with him. A lot, a lot of really insightful stuff. Uh, But before we do get over to Nick, let's bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeff Lavecchio. Jeff, what's going on today? Hey, Tove, I was just in my closet cutting the sleeves off all my shirts. <laughs> Are you get you have shirts that actually have sleeves on them still? I'm just kidding. I wasn't doing that. I don't buy shirts with sleeves. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Oh boy! Well, this is going to be a good opening. I like it. I like it. We're feisty right now. It's good stuff. Uh, what a great conversation we had with Nick. A lot of really good stuff. But uh, before Mr. St. Louis man, St. Louis Blues, first time in franchise history winning the Stanley Cup. Has the city burned down yet or what? Man, it's probably pretty close. Like, I went down downtown Saturday. Uh, I took uh, me and all my pro guys and college guys, we met up. Um, downtown at a local watering hole and just posted up uh, for the whole day of the parade. And man, it was, it was a spectacle down there. It was very cool, very cool to see a, a town that has been called a quote unquote baseball town forever to be uh, not be red for the Cardinals and be just a complete like blue out. Like everyone was in blue. Everyone was happy. It was just really cool for hockey here. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, what's uh, so? What does it mean to kind of the town? The fact that the Blues won. Like, you say it's probably a hockey town now, but is it just been for all the people that have waited for so many years for the town to win? It must be pretty cool. Man, it was it was something to see. It was uh, it, it was a lot of fun, and I think St. Louis gained a ton of new hockey fans. Somebody, I'm in a text group, and actually, I think it was Matt Lashoff who we had on the podcast before, and we talked about him in this episode, actually. Um, I think he texted this group I'm in and said something like the blues sold out of their Stanley cup merch faster than anyone else ever has. Like it was like almost instantaneous. It was like, bam, all sold out. So, uh, yeah, you know, people in St. Louis are loving it right now. It's very cool. Yeah. That's, uh, that's unreal. And for, for you guys growing up there and finally to have the city win, they've been close, but I just, I love the way that they won. The way that they won is unreal. First of all, going from last place in the league in January to winning the Stanley Cup, that's never going to happen again. Um, I just, the, but their Ever. whole, yeah, their, their whole just vibe, just big, tough, wear you down, um, buying in, just old school, old time hockey. Like, I just, I love to see a team like that win. And uh, it's, it was, it was a fun series. That Boston series was unreal to watch. Yeah, I mean, you know, 
kind of hilarious they're playing against the Bruins because everyone in St. Louis is like, who are you rooting for? And I'm like, St. Louis, duh. I'm from St. Louis. I grew up in St. Louis. I want St. Louis to win so that St. Louis hockey gets even bigger. So pretty much a no brainer for me, but uh, yeah, man, it was, it was, it was a great series and very exciting. And I actually watched. (laughs) You actually watched. Good for you. I actually watched some games there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, other than that, um, this episode was awesome with Nick, like a lot of really good stuff and really getting into the meat and the, the nitty gritty of, of kind of almost like the stresses and the pressures of being a professional hockey player and then not being a professional hockey player when you're done. And, uh, I mean, we got pretty deep in this one and I thought it was great. I think people are going to get a lot out of it. Yeah. You know, a lot of people just think, Oh, you play pro sports. Oh, you got an easy life, blah, blah, blah. But you know, Nick kind of, he kind of talked about, well, you know, I kind of went through a really hard time after my, my career was over. Like, you know, this, this was not easy for me. Um, so it's really interesting to hear someone speak so candidly and openly about kind of the struggles that he went through and he's obviously doing well now he's back in coaching youth hockey and he's also got a really good job with strikers. So, you know, he's doing well. Yeah. One of the things that he talked about that I thought was really interesting too, is so he got drafted 28th overall and there were probably 31 teams in the league at the time. And uh, what if he got picked four picks later and he was like a second round pick, you know, like would the pressure be that much or not? And I just thought that was really kind of interesting to even think about that because, I mean, one of my good buddies growing up, Danny Richmond, who, you know, he was drafted, I think the first, he was 31st overall, but at that time there were only 30 teams. So he was a second round pick. So maybe it was, you know, you have two different guys, three picks apart that could have completely different expectations. I just thought that was really kind of crazy it is and by the way danny if you're listening i know you listen to this podcast you got to get on this podcast what are you doing stop dragging your feet (laughs) we got to ask him first yeah i guess we probably should ask him (laughs) but uh we want people who want to be on the podcast so danny reach out but yeah no i mean that's so true man i played with so many guys who were first rounders and you could just tell it was very different with them both from the way that they saw themselves and the way that the organization saw themselves from other players on the team looked at them, you know, there's a lot of pressure and, you know, it's not like I'm saying, Oh, I wouldn't want to be drafted in the first round. It's a lot of pressure. No, you also get a lot of chances from that. But now in today's world, teams are realizing that and they're starting to offer a lot more help with, you know, we want you to talk to our psychologist. We want you to talk to our sports psychologist. We want you to talk to people and, it'll just help everyone just talking things out and learning different stress coping mechanisms and things like that. But first rounder is a big label and it's a heavy weight to start with on your shoulders. Yeah. I don't know what that would feel like. I was not drafted. Neither do I. (laughs) I wasn't drafted either. Um, But yeah, I certainly, certainly makes a lot of sense. And uh, what a great guy, like awesome guy, had some great stories. You guys talked about some good Mike Hastings stories. So we got some more of those. I know the listeners like that and um, some good stories about his time at at BC when they won a national championship too. So a lot, a lot of really good stuff. Uh, that'll be coming in a couple minutes. But before we do get over to the conversation, again, want to uh, want to talk about the Hockey Development Conference that we're going to be doing in Chicago the first weekend in August. Uh, we are so excited for this. Like, all the speakers that are coming are jacked. 
Uh, gonna have some unbelievable topics and we have some pretty surprising special guests coming that we are gonna roll out in the next episode as well we want to make sure we get those finalized first but um, can't even begin to tell you how excited we are to to bring this to to the masses in Chicago and uh, if you like our podcast and and like the things that we talk about when it comes to hockey development you will love this conference so um, head over to the website if you haven't already uh, thehockeythinktank.com and and sign up for the conference it's going to be a lot of fun especially since you're going to be there yeah you know i'm trying to make everything fun so <laughs> just kidding um, it'll be fun no matter what i was i was actually training josh pauls this morning uh olympic sled hockey captain for team usa um many time over gold medalist i was training him this morning we were just talking about how excited we are because we're both going to be speaking at it yeah yeah, and I think another thing, too, I was talking to Emma, my wife, and I think the biggest thing when it comes to what this event is going to be about is it's going to be very intimate. So there's only 100 spots for people. So it's going to fill up really quick, and it's again, it's not going to be like people are sitting in the back row taking notes and stuff. It's going to be like you're going to be able to talk to the people that are there that are going to be speaking and presenting. You're going to be able to ask questions. You're going to be able to be in a small group and talk to the other people that are there that want to learn. So uh, it's going to be a really intimate environment. You're going to be at the Chicago Blackhawks practice facility. Um, the actual uh, conference is going to be in where their weight room is, so you'll be able to see it. So it's, it's really, really cool. Um, so if you really want to kind of get deep into hockey development, uh, learn about processes, learn about it from people who are at the top of the industry. I, I can't wait to learn from some of the people that are going to be there. You're going to be able to, to be a part of it. So you're not just sitting there and listening to speakers doing PowerPoint presentations or video presentations. You're going to be a part of it. And I think that's what's going to set this conference apart from, you know, from the other people. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm very excited and, I'll have my computer and my notebook there ready to take notes, baby. <laughs> I like it. And with that, let's uh, hand it on over to Nick Petrecki. We are so excited to have on this episode of the Hockey Think Tank podcast, Nick Petrecki. Nick, what's going on here today, man? What's going on, fellas? How we doing? Doing well, doing well. Like I was just saying, off the air, I'm in uh, Vermont on a vacation with the wife without the baby, so I'm uh, I'm relaxed, stress free, and I'm I'm ready to freaking let her rip. <laughs> That's awesome. That's good stuff. So, uh, well, Nick, one of the things we like to do when we bring guests on is uh, like to take it way back and and talk about how you kind of fell in love with the game. Uh, you grew up right outside of Albany in the Schenectady area, so not necessarily a hockey hotbed. But uh, if you can, just talk to us a little bit about how you fell in love with the game in that area. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's a hockey hotbed, but I guess <laughs> it depends who you ask, too. Um, I was actually born in Schenectady, and I think that was put on like all the rosters from when I got drafted. So I'm actually from Clifton Park, New York, which is about 20 minutes north. Um, so grew up there, uh, for most of my life, just played tier two hockey up there, uh, for Clifton park youth hockey, uh, did that all the way up, played, uh, on a Bantam team in Albany for a year, I believe that's going back a bit. And then, uh, I jumped into the old empire junior B hockey league, oh, which go. I don't even know if you guys have heard about that, but they had a couple teams out in, uh, Buffalo area. I was playing for the capital district selects in Albany. Uh, did that for a year and then jumped up to the Eastern Junior League my sophomore year of school, uh, high school, um, and played in the EJ for a year. But pretty much just standard tier two youth hockey growing up. 
my dad played D3 hockey uh, at Babson College, small uh, business school oh, outside yeah. of Boston. Um, and, and I think I got on skates at age three. And just like everybody else, like you guys, everybody that's played hockey, um, you know, did the rank in the backyard, stay out there, shoot pucks all day, come home from school, before school, all that, uh, you know, all the standard stuff hockey guys tend to do. And, um, yeah, just, just kind of took it from there. Fell in love with it at, at an early age and, and went from there. Awesome. Wow, Vex, he uh, he made it to the NHL and was a first-round NHL draft pick without playing AAA hockey in diapers. It's pretty crazy, huh? <laughs> and he, can, you, and I was, can, can you believe that? Wow. I was he was saying he played junior B, and I was like, junior B to a first-rounder. You don't hear that too often. <laughs> junior junior B at age – I was trying to think of the, the, some of the names of those teams. It was like the Wheatfield Blades were out of Buffalo. I was a capital district. Uh, selects out of Albany, Connecticut Junior League. Like I said, that league, I don't know what that's turned into. Maybe the USPHL, um, but and then went up to the EJ. But the EJ, when I was there at that time, so that was probably like 0405 I think. EJ was really good. Like you had the Junior Monarchs, you had the Junior Bruins, uh, Capital District, like I've mentioned, and you'd have three to four kids going to Maine, BU, UNH, and then you'd have the second tier kids kind of going to, you know, Bowdoin, Colby, all the good, you know, academic and good hockey programs for D3 as well. Yeah, that's, uh, that's great. And uh, yeah, it's kind of changed a little bit more. Like there's two junior leagues out there now, the EHL and the USPHL. And, and a lot of the, a lot of better kids are kind of going to the USHL a little bit earlier now. Um, but that's a great segue transition because you and my partner Vex here have a little bit of a shared junior story. Uh, he finished in Omaha and the next year you came into Omaha. So, uh, you guys both played for the Lancers there, which is one of the top junior programs in the country, um, for one of the top coaches in the country and Mike Hastings. So we've talked a lot about coach Hastings so far on the <laughs> podcast, but, uh, Give, give us your best Mike Hastings stories because there's so many good ones. Oh man, uh, uh, there's there's too many to list, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I ended up. Vex, uh, what year was your last year in Omaha? So that was oh three oh four. No, my last year was oh four oh five. Oh four oh five. Okay, so my first year was obviously oh five oh six. So I had a tough. I, I didn't know if I was going to end up going to Omaha because I got drafted. I think like ninth or 11th overall or something to the Plymouth Whalers in the OHL. So I had an option to go in there. I think Mike Bellucci was the GM at that time. He actually just won a Calder cup in uh, Charlotte in the American league. So I had the option to go there. Hastings called me, wanted me to come out there or it was to stay in the EJ. So sorry to get off on a tangent there. The best Mike Hastings story, um, I think he was a lot crazier when Bex played for him. He was starting to calm down a little bit with, uh, like, when I came in. But anything from, like, we do those overnight trips on the sleeper buses, like 10 hours either out to, like, Chicago or Indy. And, I mean, I was a 16-year-old kid at the time. And you'd bust through the night, and he'd get you up at, I don't know, 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. And everybody had to get out of the bus. We had to get off. And it'd be like, all right, there's a Denny's a mile and a half or two miles down the road. And we would have to run to Denny's like two miles in our, in our brutal little, like, you know, 
CCM tracksuits. And I was just like, I didn't know any better. So I was like, oh, yeah, like, this is fine. But, like, looking back on it now, I'm like, that guy was out of his mind, man. And I'm like, <laughs> his, his meltdowns between period, he came in one time, and there was an old old stick rack that got wheeled in and out of the room by our equipment manager, Billy Nervick. And I don't know, we lost at Des Moines one night, like, 7-1. So wheels the stick rack in the room. He's throwing sticks. And uh, one of the sticks, I mean, throwing sticks everywhere. One of the sticks ended up hitting a kid by the name of Nick Fanto, Bex. I don't know if you played with him. And it, it split him open above the eyebrow for, like, four or five stitches. And it was like... <laughs> It's like no, no big deal. He was just like, "Yeah, go get that stitched up, and then we're going to run stairs." <laughs> like, this, this guy's a goddamn maniac, man. But you know what? He demanded a lot out of you, and I really think going there and him being so strict, but he was also very fair. He wasn't like a salesman, like told it how it was. And I, I really think I developed a lot there, both on and off the ice. I, th- I think he was he was huge for me. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, that's. It, it, anything that makes you grow is usually hard. And, uh, I mean, he was very hard on some guys and I definitely remember boys calling me and being like, Oh my God, Vex, Hasto just launched a stick javelin style across the room and hit <laughs> Fanto in the face. And I was like, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah. Pretty funny. Was that uh, your, was yeah, that your no, rookie he, year? He, he, I can't remember if that was my rookie year. Yeah, it must have been. My, it must have been. But, yeah, I mean, like, we did crazy stuff. We, you know, we'd, we'd bust all the way back, and then we'd have to run stairs. I remember a guy by the name of Matt Mulakalis in the old uh, Mid-America Center there. Mookie, he had always had knee problems. Mookie was a great guy, man. He was, he was good because I was so young when I got out there. I followed guys like him around. He was a great guy. But in the old Mid-America Center, it was concrete, a big concrete bowl, and then there were the aluminum stands that, you know, could go in and go out. And Mookie, we were running stairs after game one time, and Mookie slipped from the concrete to the aluminum stairs, tweaked his knee. I don't know if it was tweaked his meniscus or something. And he went up to Haystone. He's like, hey, like, tweaked my knee pretty bad. And Mookie was a tough kid, really tough kid. And Hastings like, you know what? That's just a lack of mental toughness. Keep going. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, whoa. But yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I think guys really appreciated how tough he was. But like I said, at, at the same time, for the most part, he was very fair. Very fair. He's he's a good man. Uh, yeah, Mookie Mookie actually tore his knee his first practice of my last year of juniors. Like I think he okay. went first in the drill and Shouse. It was a drill where that was made to just have you run into guys full speed, like two trains hitting each other head on. And Mookie's like a new guy. And he's like, I'm going to go first. And Shouse is a returning guy. So he's like, I'm going to kill the new guy. <laughs> and Mookie just twisted wrong and he tore his knee and he missed that whole year from that. Like, God, what a guy though. Mookie, I hope you're listening. Yeah. I love you, buddy. Good Chicago boy. For I haven't sure. Talk- yeah. I haven't talked to him in a while, but he was, uh, Tough kid, hard worker, took care of me as a young kid. But, yeah, I mean, the blocking shot drills we used to do there, it's just, yeah, hilarious. I, I just laugh about it now. Like, you're supposed to get 30, 30 hits a game, 30 block shots a game, and 30 shots on net. And if you didn't hit the number, it was like we were going to bag skid. I'm like, 30 hits. I'm like, all right, guys, I'll take care of that. I'll do 12 in the first period. <laughs> but you guys are going to have to, like, 
pick up the rest, you know. But, no, what a good experience out there. Good people, good community, and a pretty cool thing to do when you're that young. I remember when uh, when I turned 18, my second year in the USHL, we were, like, just messing around at a, at a skate, not at our rink. I don't know where we were, and I was like uh, – Oh, Staz was going to the rink or something. Hastings happened to drop by to watch us do like rat hockey. And I was like, oh, Staz, like when you go to the rink, grab me a visor. It's my birthday tomorrow. Hastings had snapped over at me so fast it almost spun around his body. And he was like, oh, you think you're putting a visor on? And I was like, well, I'm turning 18. And he's like, if you flinch one time when you go to block a shot, I'm going to bolt that effing cage on your helmet so fast your head will spin. And I looked at Staz, I go, you know what, I'm all right. Don't grab me a bite. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was a big thing with him, too. Like, I, I wasn't old enough to wear a visor at that time. But if you put on a visor and you did the flamingo or you got out of the way or you weren't playing, like, a heavy game, it didn't matter who you were. That, that like, caused him to have an absolute freaking conniption because he was just not – if you're wearing a visor, you, you better be putting your face in front of Fox or you're putting a cage on. That was a big thing with him, too. <laughs> So let me ask you this because these are obviously hilarious hilarious stories about Coach Hastings, but you became a first-round NHL draft pick after two years of playing for him, and uh, he has had a ton of success at both the junior and now the college levels. So what, do you, what was it about him and what did he do with you that kind of helped you with your development to get you to where you were in, in the game as well? You know what? I just think, like, I was always a pretty hard worker and, like, took direction well because, I mean, I I grew up, like, my dad was kind of a no-nonsense guy, and I was pretty squared away at that time. Like, I wouldn't really, you know, screw around. Like, I, you know, I knew I had potential, and I know going out there was a big thing, and, you know, kind of some big things were kind of on the horizon. But I just think, for me, he, you know, between, like, the ice time, um, the opportunity he gave me, um, you know, he gave me a little bit of power play time and people that know me are probably like dying laughing hearing that, but <laughs> that, that was a big thing for me. I mean, I was, I was always a bigger kid, but I was a good skater and, and I was strong, but I was able to, you know, get a little bit of power play time, work on the penalty kill and work on my overall game. And, you know, we always had ice time available. He was always easy to talk to. Uh, always approachable to go into his office. We did a good amount of video out there. And I think just our personalities, like he likes a heavy game. I had to play a heavy game in order to be successful or have impact on the game, right? I'm not going to be a 40 to 50 point guy, obviously. And I think that's, you know, I I think that's why we got along. And I was just kind of able to just go out and do my own thing. And, you know, if I screwed up, come back to the bench and say, listen, dude, you're, you're going to be, you know, a shutdown guy at this level in college and at the next level. So instead of trying to feed that all the way up the middle and try to, you know, make a hundred foot breakout pass, why don't you just make the single to the winger and then follow up between the dots and try to get involved with maybe a little bit of secondary offense. So I think I was, you know, I, I kind of took that and ran with it, gave me a little bit of confidence and, you know, I was able to develop. That's great. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, just figuring out who you are as a player and, and coaches like helping players to figure out who they are as players. I think that's so important when you get to the junior college pro levels, because, you know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses 
And if you can figure out how to leverage those strengths and really, because at the end of the day, like everybody that even plays in the NHL has deficiencies and you still have to work on those deficiencies. But a lot of the player development people that we've brought onto the podcast, they talk a lot more about trying to, to leverage those strengths that you have. And would you say that that's something that throughout your career and especially when you were in Omaha that you tried to do as a big shutdown, tough kind of defenseman? You know, I still like I'm involved in a little bit of hockey now, coaching at the high school level and, and doing some stuff uh, in the area where I live in Connecticut, even with little guys and stuff. And, you know, I talk to a lot of people. And I think the biggest thing is consistency. Whatever your strengths are, you know, A, B and C, do those every day consistently at 100 percent. And if that's making a 12 foot breakout pass to your winger and following up, you got to be able to make that pass 99 out of a hundred times. And I think that's where I had a little bit of an issue or struggled a little bit as, as I progressed, I kind of got away from trying to do too much. And I, I think that was never a good thing to, you know, do too much and, and do things that way, but being consistent every day with what you do. I mean, you can relate that to life, right. Or, your regular work or being a parent or any of that stuff, you got to, you got to do what you do well consistently every day. And I think I, I picked a, a lot up from him on that. And then I, unfortunately, I think I got away from that a little bit farther down in my career, but that's kids come to me for advice now. Well, what are you as a player? Do that every day. Do your best of your ability. Do you think that maybe you felt pressure from being a, uh you know, such a high draft pick that, oh, hey, I got to score points and stuff like that? I don't think so, scoring points. I mean, like, listen, guys have made, uh, you look at shutdown D in the NHL or, you know, guys have made millions and millions of dollars, you know, perfecting how to put the puck off the glass and get it to land in a neutral (laughs) zone, right? Obviously, that's not hockey anymore, like, today, right? It's more... Small, smaller guys that are a little, more, a little bit more fleet of foot that, you know, are a bit more creative and can chip in offensively. But I don't think the pressure really came from that. I always was, like, pretty hard on myself. But I don't know. I mean, I think there's, there's so much pressure as you move up. I think anytime you're labeled with, you know, a first-round pick, well, I think I was, like, 28th overall or whatever, you know, if I go 32 or 33 overall, do I still feel that same pressure or, you know, is people look at you in a different light? Maybe it give you a bit more time to develop. I don't know, but I don't think it's, you know, for being first round, it's awesome. It's, you know, great to have that, you know, on my resume and pretty cool thing to talk about now that, you know, I'm so removed from the game. But I, I think like, I don't think people realize how much pressure that is to, be in the first round and it's one thing to make it to the NHL, but it's another thing to really get there, stay there, be consistent and, you know, actually make a career out of it. So I don't know if that backs, if that answers your question, but I guess that's kind of my take on it. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. And I think uh, <clears throat> something that Topher and I have talked a lot on this podcast about is, mental health and guys learning how to deal with stress and the pressures 
you know, that are placed upon them, whether it's their own expectations or others in the outside world and things like that. So it's definitely, you know, we don't get uh, first round here, first rounders on here all the time. So it's definitely something interesting to think about for all of our listeners. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, listen, I'm, I'm not an expert on mental health. I certainly think it is a hot topic right now across, I think, geez, all, all sports and life in general. But I mean, from my experiences, I, I think, you know, I, what I, I think I played probably four full seasons in the American league before even getting a sniff. And I think like when I came in, uh, to San Jose, I mean, I did four, did a couple rookie camps, did four main camps. Uh, Ron Wilson was the coach there. When I think he went from there to Toronto. He was more of a bit more like, like the big rugged guys. And then came in, I was kind of caught in a weird period there. I'm not using that as an excuse. Um, but I just think, you know what? Kids are drafted so young. And, you know, I did two years at BC, had pretty good success there. I had a good freshman year. Sophomore year was just okay. And then I was like, you know, I think I had like 161 penalty minutes or something that <laughs> I, I believe is the, the NCA record. And I was with the uh, or group at, at the time. And they were like, all right, we need to get you out of BC and we'll get you into the American League. And, you know, San Jose feels comfortable that you're going to continue to develop and pop pop up in the San Jose, maybe get a couple games and see what happens. And um, I don't know, I'm getting on a little bit of a tangent here, but like I said, going back to your question on the mental health thing, being a first round pick and then having success at school and getting out of there. And then it's like, Holy cow, four years just went by. I got no NHL games on my resume so far. Like you really start to feel it. You know what I mean? And you're like, wow, they've made this investment. They've made this investment in you. And it's like, do I have to change my game? Do I not have to change my game? Which, you know, that was kind of the time that everything was going smaller, quicker, faster. And I'm looking at myself. I'm like, shit, I'm six, three, two twenty, And I ain't getting any quicker. I'll tell you that. And I ain't jumping back on the PP. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. Kind of a weird period for me I don't think I was as consistent and you know what that that definitely takes a toll on you and uh I don't know it, it, it's tough but I think you know where I'm at now I think it's definitely made me mentally tougher because I can pretty much deal with anything and you know it, it definitely makes you stronger in the long run but yeah it's it's not easy and guys that you know have uh I think who else was my year I think yeah Cooch, Logan Couture, we were roommates my first year in Worcester. We came in together. We were both first-round picks in 07. I mean, look at the success that guy's had. I don't think he's too uh, mentally stressed out, right? Maybe he's a little <laughs> bummed out on, you know, their playoff run ending, but kid's a great kid, hell of a talent, and it's just like, you know, it just has – I obviously didn't pan out as, as he did, two very separate players, but – it's all a crapshoot, man. After, like, the top five picks, I say it's all a crapshoot. You never know. 
Yeah, it's so true. Well, you know, we talked a little bit about some of the stresses that come with being a first-round pick, but we are recording this podcast the Wednesday before the NHL draft, and I have to imagine that being drafted in the first round was such a thrill for you, too. So if you can, kind of take us back to that day, take us back to that draft, and tell us a little bit about your feelings that day and what it was like to get drafted in the first round from a positive standpoint. Yeah, and it's funny because actually I was just I was at home visiting my parents uh, a couple weekends ago, and we were down in the basement looking at stuff, and they got all my memorabilia and jerseys and signs and this, and uh, there was uh, so I, that was '07 in Columbus, and there was a big poster down there, uh, like it was like a Bud Light or like a Miller Light big poster that actually my grandmother took off the wall of a bar one night when we went out. <laughs> and when I was down there, like I said, a couple of weekends ago, and my dad's like, can you believe that was freaking 12 years ago? And I'm like, oh, my God. It's just, it's all a blur. But I remember I drove out with my mom and dad. I actually, Hastings came. A couple of my uh, aunts came. Uh, my sister, obviously, my grandmother. So we probably had our best family friends from home. We probably had a crew of like 20 people. I did really well to combine and all the physical testing. I interviewed well. And I remember, I can't remember the scout's name, but I talked to Florida and Florida pretty much said, if you're there at 10, we're going to take you at 10. So draft, draft day comes. I got, you know, my new uh, men's warehouse suit on. I still have it at home. (laughs) Thing Thing was pristine. It was probably about 130 bucks, but I felt like a million bucks. And uh, we were sitting there. Uh, the number 10 pick comes. I think they took Keaton Allerby, actually, big, big D man from uh, the Western League. That I think he probably played a couple hundred games. So that didn't pan out. And then we get to like pick 15, and I know how they do it. They do like the best available, don't they? Do that right? Like when it's coverage on tv they say like the next three best available if they haven't been picked you guys yeah, know what i'm yeah. talking about yeah yeah they have like the picture of you on the bottom and stuff like that yeah and i was just sitting there sweating i'm like oh man i am i'm gonna be bummed out if i don't go first round then it was like pick 20 i was like 22 then it was like 25 and i'm like god damn it we gotta come back here tomorrow i'm like <laughs> i've already i i think i think i only brought one dress shirt i got pitters down to my, <laughs> my hip. i'm like i'm like what the heck so and then 28 comes and um yeah that that was it so i was i remember people saying that oh you look so mad on the tv i was just like i don't think i was mad i was just kind of more in shock and didn't really, you know, at that time you don't realize it's a business, right? And, you know, certain teams need, you know, certain needs and stuff like that. But, yeah, I was sweating it pretty good. And the funny thing was one of my buddies was watching from home and I took my jacket off. And, like, when you walk up, you go on stage, they put a camera right in front of you. So you got to walk at a certain pace (laughs) as you're going to the stage for, like, the TV time. And I took my jacket off and Gary Bettman meets you at the stage and he extends his hand and goes, you know, welcome, you know, congratulations. Welcome to the NHL. And I remember I threw him, I didn't hand him, I threw him my jacket. <laughs> and I thought he was like, dude, like, 
that's a little aggressive. And I was like, I don't even know, dude. Like, I was so amped up. So I wasn't trying to be rude. I was just like, dude, like, it's kind of a dream come true, right? You don't know how you're going to act in that situation. I wasn't even 18 yet. I was 17 because I, I didn't turn 18 until July. But, I mean, pretty crazy. And then I remember we went out after. My dad didn't allow me to drink that that night because he didn't think it was going to be a good look. And, I mean, can't really disagree with him. But Hastings definitely had his share of pops. Um, and we did a bunch of bunch of pictures. We got awesome, awesome family pictures at home. And Hastings in there holding a couple bottles of wine, hanging out with everybody. So we got really cool pictures, but great night. And then next day just drove home so it was really cool and then a couple weeks later you're jumping you know on my 18th birthday uh july 11th i was already at uh you know development camp so kind of a whirlwind but it's funny you bring that up because it's like i was just looking at that post the other day and i'm like i i can't believe that was 12 years ago where's it where's it gone you know i mean it's just crazy how much how much time has passed it's nuts goes by quickly man i still remember (laughs) my first my first meeting with our team at western michigan where i went to college and the seniors were like boys like enjoy it live in the moment work as hard as you can because before you know it you're going to be seniors giving this speech and that was before my freshman year of college you know let alone i played three years there and then 10 years pro and it's been a year removed from that and i still remember that speech and i'm like god like i feel like that just happened but you feel like, Vex, to go off that, you feel a little corny saying that, but, like, I was just back at BC for the first time in years in November for our 10-year reunion of our OA championship team. So we did a hockey game Friday night. They played Vermont. And then uh, football was playing. I think Clemson was number two at the time. So we brought out the trophy. place was packed. I brought my dad down. Good to see everybody. And then they had college game day there. So super cool thing to do. But – we were like running in. We were talking to some of the hockey guys there. Good to go. Have to soak up everything. And of course, like you know, we each have you know thirty-seven Miller lights in us, and we're giving this speech. <laughs> but I'm like, no, really. Like I, I know I sound crazy right now, but it, it, it just goes so quick. Like it's nuts, man. It's it's crazy how quick it goes. It's nuts. It really <laughs> is. It really is. It's uh, it's pretty nuts. I, I mean, I saw it even like full circle as a college coach you know you recruit a kid at at 17 and then he you know he comes in at 19 and then he leaves at whatever 23 when you see it full circle from start to of the recruiting process to when they leave that's like nuts because they're completely different people by the time that they're 23 you know like maybe even at at 17 they're shy and they won't even look you in the eye and stuff like that and then 23 they're giving you a huge hug as you leave and stuff it's just that's pretty cool part of of college hockey and I wanted to ask you about that too because your freshman year you guys did win the national championship so what was that like and why did you guys win because obviously at BC you guys have a lot of talent and had a lot of really good players but um, I've heard that the BC culture is just some guys that have played there and I actually went in and de- did uh, team building with them last year too, um, that the culture is just really special. Oh, cool. So um, talk to us a little bit about what your time was like at BC and, and specifically that, that championship team. Well, I'll start with this to answer your question and then I'll, and then I'll expand on it. Why did we win? Two words, Nathan Gerby. <laughs> it was unbelievable. <laughs> I actually, I just, he was in town, uh, working out. I'm down in Connecticut now. So, uh, he was in town working out getting a summer workout. So we had, uh, we had dinner last week and 
we, we hung out and we were talking about a bunch of things. But um, Gerbs was really good that year. We had Joe Whitney come in. Uh, he was my class. I think he had like 56 points as a freshman. The power play specialist. Goo. Brian Gibbons was really good that year. Uh, John Muse, our goaltender, played unbelievable. Um, like I said, Gerbs. We had Benny Ferriero, and then our bottom six were just role players like Matt Green and Pat Gannon, guys that you probably even heard about. But Matt Lombardi, just really, really strong bottom six that, like we discussed about 15 minutes ago. Were consistent every day, extremely hard workers, and knew their role. So I think between the goaltending, we had a really good freshman class. And, you know, when you have a special talent like Nathan Gerby, who was up for the Hobie that year. Um, but we struggled beginning of the year. We, we struggled to find our footing. And I remember there was – we were playing in Providence, and our assistant coach at the time, Mike Cavanaugh, who's at UConn now, there was um, – a, re- a reporter, I think it was Nancy Calabrese or something. She's a reporter for either the Globe or the Herald in Boston. And we were at Providence. We were down like 3-2 in the third period. This is probably, I don't know, end of February, mid-February. And Cav put the article up on the board, and it pretty much said that we were, we were dead in the water. So long story short, we come out, we won that game in overtime, and we just went on an absolute tear the second half of the season. Um, so special group, good bottom six, good goaltending, good freshman class and high end talent. But, you know, Jerry and his staff, I mean, it is, it's again, you sound corny saying it, but it is a special place. I mean, it's a beautiful school, great education, uh, you know, great facilities. There's, I mean, we were buddies, the baseball team, basketball team, Matty Ryan was a fifth year there. Uh, my freshman year, good football. And, You know, Jerry, he doesn't really say much, but he recruits good kids. And you know what? All the guys that I played with there and, you know, I was only there for two years, we got along with everybody. You know what I mean? Everybody did their job. And our captain that year was one of my best buddies, Mikey Brennan. And he's living down in Long Island now, um, doing the same thing I'm doing in the med device industry. But just... An awesome, awesome guy would always include the freshman. It'd be like, you know what? We we put 630 racks in the senior dorm. Here's the coach for the door. You guys go down there, bring as many people as you can. We're going out with the parents down to the bar, and we'll bring everybody back. And it's just <laughs> like, like, oh, these, these guys are amazing. Like, he's like, bring as many girls as you can down there. Bring as many people as you can. And we just had a tight-knit group, good talent. And you don't, you know, when you're playing for Jerry York, Somebody who is, you know, his resume speaks for himself and, you know, has a way about himself. Like, you're locked in. You're not really dicking around there. And, I mean, you know, we we got some great stories and we're able to sneak some stuff by him. But for the most part, (laughs) we really really stayed out of trouble and we were good on the ice. And, you know, we're great off the ice as well. Great experience, man. That's awesome. Yeah, it's just... Hearing you talk, it, it reminds me of going back to my college days too, when we had such good guys and, and like when everybody's pulling on the same rope and you know everybody will run through a brick wall for you. That just it's such a 
powerful, powerful thing. And uh, even look at like the Blues now. I mean, you look at what they did with their Stanley Cup run. I mean, that's it's kind of the same thing. So um, I, I totally agree with you. Just that that everybody being a good person and everybody pulling on the same rope. I mean, it's just it's everything if you want to win. Not just necessarily in college hockey, but in at any freaking level. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, when everybody has the same agenda, I mean you're able to have success. And I mean, then the sophomore year, we had a couple injuries. We were not very good. You know, like I said, I had like freaking 170 penalty minutes. I got suspended <laughs> a couple times, did some pretty, pretty dumb stuff. And Jerry was like, yeah, you might want to move on to the American league. I was like, all right, Jerry sounds good. Thanks for everything. <laughs> but no, nah, man, we had a, we had a great group there and can't say enough. I mean, again, just another, we talked about how, fast stuff. I mean, just a great opportunity to be able to play there. I, I've, you know, my mom's side of the family, she's from West Roxbury in Boston. Um, so, you know, after being out two years out West where my parents would only come out, you know, a couple times a year, like Thanksgiving and then one time in like playoffs, like my parents would drive down there, there every weekend. We had family and friends there. We'd all go out, you know, go to the bar after drink beers, grab food. And we had a great group of parents on that team too. So, Pretty awesome because I was looking at I, I either it came down between BC, Wisco, Michigan, and Minnesota, and oh, I was playing. Oh, okay. Uh, best, yeah, hey, tough choices there, Nicholas. <laughs> yeah, Bex, did you play with Tony Lucia? Yes, I did. Yeah, so I was. Uh, he would drive me to school every day out there because I didn't have my license. So his dad comes in, and he's like, "We really want you to come to Minnesota." So long story short end up going to VC. So me and Tony are on the car ride home from school. So he's like, Hey dude, you should call my dad and like, tell him you're not going to the U. I'm like, all right, no problem. I'm like, Hey, what's going on? Like what's cooking? He's like, nothing, Nick. Like, what can I do for you? Like, uh, I just want to let you know, I'm going to go play for Jerry at BC. I want to be closer to my family. He's like, I don't know if that's a great decision, but I respect it and understand it. Fast forward, you know, a year later, we beat him in the regional in Worcester. And I was just like, there you go, Mr. Luch, like I told you. Like, <laughs> that's kind of an inside joke between that's me awesome. and the Lucia family. But, yeah, pr- pretty funny. But, yeah, playing back east, was it was awesome, man. Really cool experience. Won the bean pot that year. It was, it was amazing. Very cool. Yeah, for sure. Well, one of the things I wanted to ask you, Nick, was um, you, know, you mentioned the fact that you had – quite a few penalty minutes in uh, in your time at BC, but also you had quite a few penalty minutes in your time playing professionally. And uh, But you also won the Yannick Dupree Award as the AHL's Man of the Year in 2012. And I, I just think it's, it's fascinating um, when people can hear tough guys like yourself and how great of people you are off the ice, because that's, I mean, that's pretty much a staple. Like a lot of the guys that played that enforce a role or play the tough guy role or the best guys and the best team guys off the ice. So you, you had to have been one of those guys winning that award and, and talking to guys that have played with you as well. So like, if you can talk a little bit about that, how being that tough guy, but also being that guy in the room, uh, has led you to have a, a great career. Yeah, I think, you know, I was tough. I wasn't super tough. I really didn't know. Uh, I never really took the time to, I mean, I took boxing a little bit, but like, you know, I played pretty stiff and I ran around a bit or probably a good amount. Like, I mean, college, you can do whatever you want. Obviously you guys know that. And I mean, it was honestly kind of a wake up call my first couple of years in the American league. I think like 
in that time at the American League, you had like Morasti, Gillies, like guys that were legit, legit, like tough guys. And it was like, dude, you're 6'3", 230, you run around, you're going to have to answer the bell. But I never really took a whole lot of time to know or learn how to defend myself. So I remember like my third game, like Michael Haley, like beat the absolute tires off me. My dad's like, okay, he's like 5'8". Like, dude, you got to start to learn how to fight. I'm like, he's like a super tough guy. And then like, you know, Bobby Robbins kicked the shit out of me a couple of times. <laughs> so like, that's kind of how you learn. I definitely got tougher later in my career because I took more time at it and would use my strength and my reach and stuff. So just to clarify, Enforcer is a little bit aggressive. I was more of just a stiff guy that would, you know, stick up for guys and, and do it when I had to. But going back, I think this ties in, Tof, to answer your question. All the stuff I did off the ice, I think started with, like, you touched on that mental health stuff. I think I would never really talk to anybody about how much pressure I really felt you know, being that first round pick and, you know, kicking around the American league for four years before I really got a sniff. Um, and I think that was kind of my way in, and Vex, you would know that you guys would know this, you know, once you're out of college and in, you know, pro hockey, like it's a business and it's a man's league. So guys have kids, you know, they go home to their kids, other guys go out, you know, you're kind of, if you, you can really do anything, both positive and negative, but, I would leave the rink and I was like, you know what? I don't want to go sit at home. I, I don't want to go home and freaking study or, you know, read or any of that. Like I'm going to get involved in the community. And it just kind of blossomed from, from there, whether it was, you know, a reading program that we did in Worcester, whether it was, you know, working with special needs kids, uh, you know, paying for kids to come to games, boys and girls club. We had great success with there. Uh, we had a guy by the name of Mike Myers, Yes, that was his name, who <laughs> handled all the community relations stuff in Worcester. And me and him would meet for coffee and a sandwich every day and be like, all right, what are we doing today? And we did floor hockey clinics. We did you know, reading a school program. And I was just like, you know what? This gets my mind off hockey. I love being around kids. Uh, love helping people out. And like I said, it just kind of blossomed from there. And then once I left Worcester and then moved on, I got traded to Rochester at the deadline. Um, I did the same thing there, got back involved with the boys and girls club. And it was just like, that's kind of how I handled the pressure instead of really like talking to people about it, which, you know, you should probably do to kind of, you know, get some stuff off your shoulders and not internalize all that. I would go out in the community and it was a blast. Um, loved every minute of it. Glad I've done it. And it's nice to see guys today, especially guys that have done, you know, well financially in this game, get back. You see like guys like Bernsey in San Jose buys a suite every game. You just, it, it, everybody does it. Hockey guys are the best, right? Everybody says it. it. It certainly is a different breed, but it's so cool to see how much success those guys had and, you know, the, how much money those guys have made and they get back. And I think that's something my parents instilled in me. But at the same time, it was something for me to get off my mind off of hockey after, you know, American League's not an easy place. And at that time, when I came into the league, it was the absolute jungle. So, you know, dealing with a little bit of anxiety and trying to get to that next level and deal with things, I go out and do that. And I'm very proud of that award. That's awesome. That's actually up at my parents' house, too. And I still keep in touch with a lot of the 
kids um, and a lot of the programs that I was involved with, and some of those programs have continued on. So really cool. I mean, that's good stuff. You know, that's stuff that um, makes you feel good, which is good. Um, it, it got my mind off things. And anytime you're making a, a positive impact um, and using, I guess, you know, your social status as a hockey player and a role model, uh, that, that's all good stuff. And I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I've tried to bring that some somewhat to – my high school team and doing some stuff in the community uh, around where I'm living now, I don't have as much time as I used to uh, with my current work schedule, but um, great time and, and very proud of that award. Oh, and as you should be, man. I mean, that's, that's incredible. And just hearing you talk, I mean, working with kids and working with underprivileged people, um, it just gives you perspective on life too. So you talked about um, just how, how it was tough and you had some pressure and, and sometimes you, you, you work with a, a special needs kid or you work with those communities and you're like, man, how much pressure do I actually have? <laughs> it can give you some incredible perspective. And um, I wrote a blog on our website the other day about Layla Anderson and the St. Louis Blues. And I'm convinced that St. Louis Blues do not win the Stanley Cup without that little girl uh, because I feel like she gave them so much perspective and um, was such an inspiration to them. And also at the same time, like you look at how they reacted to her after they won and, and you look at how much they loved her and stuff like that. Um, it, it's, it's amazing how people like that can just lift your spirits and, and can make you a better person. And, and with that, even a better hockey player and a better hockey team as, as evidenced by the blues winning the cup. Like, what would you guys think about that? Cause I'm, I'm convinced they wouldn't have won if it wasn't for her resiliency and, and her relationship with those guys. Totally agree with you. Yeah, I, I agree. Like I said, like it's, you know, people always think, well, you know, pro athletes, you make all this money. What do you really have to, you know, be upset about or why you're so, so stressed out this and that, like I said, like normal people as well, right. You guys have been there. You guys have played at a high level. Like it's not easy travel, you know, family stuff, you know, you don't really feel settled all the time, you know, or just a couple examples of, you know, stress having to perform every night, you know? And I, I think, being able to get out of that realm and underneath out of that microscope. Like I told, if I agree with that a hundred percent, like it's something you totally removed from the rink and get your mind off it. And I don't know. I think, I think it's huge. And I, I really think uh, that helped me out a lot with the stress. I kind of internalized with, you know, trying to live up to expectations and, and do all that thing. It's, you know, you think about it, like it was, I was a young kid, 18, 19, 20, 21, like one of those things where it's like, you wish, you know, what's that saying? I'm probably going to butcher right now. You wish, you know, what you knew now at, at that age. Right. But you get caught up in hockey, 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 hockey. And you're so focused on that. And it's like, again, where's the time gone, but take some time for yourself, go impact somebody else in your community. You feel good about it. And I think it goes an extremely long way with other people that, aren't as fortunate as you. We had uh, had a guy on the podcast a couple weeks ago named Duncan Fletcher who works a lot with the NHLPA um, and their transition program for, for guys to transition out of hockey once they're done. And in a lot of their studies, they're actually finding that if you have other interests outside of hockey, even when you're playing, that's actually going to better your playing as well. You'll become a better player. 
Um, it just kind of goes to what we're talking to, and there's actually evidence and studies that are done that show that when you do other things while you're still involved in the sport, it's going to help you become better. I agree 100%. I mean, I don't know, you know, kind of the transition you guys went through when you got out of hockey, but, I mean, I, you know, when I got, I mean, I went through uh, a dark, dark spot in a tough, tough place for a while. And I'm not even really embarrassed to say that because I think a lot of guys do. And, you know, I reached out to NHLPA, reached out to PHPA. Uh, you know, I really didn't prepare for life after hockey. And it's like I was kick, kind of kicking myself for not preparing better, whether it be, you know, to finish my degree or, you know, network, use my BC network or the network, you know, you, you make playing in the cities that I played in, but that was tough. But I think, you know, you got, you got the stress of, okay, where am I, where am I signing this year? And that's one thing. It's like, all right, July, July one comes, all the big boys get off the mar- the mark market, excuse me. Then you got, you know, the second tier guys, then you got the big league American league guys. And then it's like, okay, guys like me, you know, veteran guys that are going to be making this, you know, pretty decent money in the American league, but it's like, I didn't prepare at all. And again, you get caught in that kind of tunnel vision of hockey, hockey, hockey. And then, you know, I, I think if with whatever it is, if it's creating a brand for yourself or some company or, you know, with whatever you're into, if you can, network a little bit or have some idea idea of what you want to do, whether it's doing an internship for two weeks out of the summer, doing something like that. I think that can kind of definitely lessen it because I mean, when I got out, I literally, I tried out in Bridgeport. I screwed up my back again. I was like, you know what? I'm just freaking done with this. Like I've had enough and picked up my bag at the rink, drove home. And next morning, uh, opened up my MacBook, sat down, and I was like, okay, what are we, uh, what are we Googling today? Josh, retired <laughs> you know, like, you sound like a complete moron, but it's like, okay, I'm like, man, I actually might have to email somebody. Like, I had no, absolutely no idea. I'm like, okay, well, uh, I really like fishing. Maybe I'll call over to Orbis. Uh, yeah, are you guys uh, hiring, like, sales reps or anything? You know, like, I literally had no idea what to do, but... You know, I talked to the PHPA a little bit. They do have a uh, career transition program over there. I talked to Jed Ortmeyer um, a little bit. Talked to my buddy Colton Orr, um, who I've definitely gotten closer with um, over the last couple of years because he retired at the same time, and he lives uh, pretty close to me. But it's like, I don't know, it's, it's definitely not easy. Like I said, everybody thinks, well, you know, you have a somewhat – decent career and make some money in the American league. And, you know, it's, I don't know, it's, I could talk about this for days, but it's, it's not easy, but I I definitely think having, you know, setting up a network of people with whatever you're interested in, whether it be staying in hockey and moving up the coaching ranks, whether it be getting into med device sales, whether it be getting into marketing or finance or whatever, um, I think that needs to continue to grow to not only take stress off guys, um, but to make that transition a little bit easier because it's, it's not easy. And I didn't want to be one of those guys that, yeah, I probably could have played a couple more years, like maybe in the American league. I mean, I really slowed down with my back and my hip and 
all the issues that I have, but I'm like, I'm not playing for $1,000 a week in the coast and, you know, doing that and, you know, prolonging the inevitable. I was like, I want a clean break. I got to regroup here. And I've been lucky enough, just like anything else, same in the hockey world, everything's timing. And I've hooked on with a great company. I've really had to start, you know, back at the basement and build myself back up again. And uh, that's kind of that, but it's, it's not easy, but I think, those transition programs need to continue to develop, whether it be NHLPA, PHPA. Um, I definitely think there's a huge market for that, and I think that ties into the whole mental health thing we've talked about as well. I don't know what, what you guys think think about that. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, I had a similar experience to you. And uh, it's funny because a lot of the guys who are assistant coaches in college hockey, I shouldn't say a lot of the guys, but I've certainly got some phone calls from people that are like, Hey, what's it like on the other side? Because the lifestyle is it's, it's tough. You know, you're recruiting 200 plus days a year on the road. Some people have families and kids that they don't get to see. And and so they're like, man, like what's it like on the other side? And, and my story is a little bit interesting because when I stopped playing, I had something to go to. So I stopped playing and I got right into coaching. I was a graduate assistant in Miami of Ohio. So my transition outside of playing hockey was actually pretty easy because I had something. And Jeff's story is kind of similar with your workout business and what you've been able to do. Um, but then when I left coaching hockey, I didn't have really like a plan B after that. And I, kind of similar to yourself, Nick, like I struggled after that. Like, what are you going <laughs> to go to the Google machine and, and uh, what, what, what do I do? And uh, so that's always the like the feedback that I give to people when they kind of ask me what's it like on the other side. I'm like, you know, it's it's a lot different, but just make sure you have something to go to if you do want to leave whatever it is that you're doing, because then it'll help you to transition. You're not just kind of sitting around and wondering what should I do now. You're actually in a state of mind where you can like actually do something, have an impact and, uh, and fill your days with things that you can do. So I, I hear you, man. It's uh, it can be, it can be tough. And, um, for people that, you know, are looking to make a change, start planning for that change before you're looking to make the change. If that makes any sense. A hundred percent. And like easier said than done, right? Everybody's oh like, well, God, you're a yeah. first round pick. You, you, you must be a freaking millionaire. I'm like, well, you ever heard of anything called the salary cap? Like, <laughs> you know, my bonus were like, you know, 92 five. And then I don't know if anybody's looked at the, uh, you know, taxes in California. I'm like, yeah, I've saved a little bit of money, but you know, it's, it's a small percentage of everybody else that gets out of hockey that unfortunately, you know, you have to make money and continue with a second career when you get out and like Bex has had success and is passionate about working out and training. You know, you're passionate about what, what you're doing with the scouting and the coaching and everything that you're doing. But I was like, dude, I'm burned out on hockey. I can't take this anymore. I need a clean break. And then I started, I, I was very, very fortunate. Um, you know, you said you relied on Google. I relied on Google and Miller lights. And <laughs> I don't think that's overly healthy to do that. And my dad was just like, you know what, man, like it didn't work out as we kind of all thought it would. So have a couple beers and then Monday go find something and do something. And, you know, I've gotten into the sales route and, you know, I've had pretty good success so far, but I would love to get back into career transition stuff. And I would, you know, I think that's such a huge piece of that you know, the general public, normal people, I guess, don't see uh, when guys, 
get done. It's, it's not an easy thing, but you know, I had a opportunity. I was about six months into work. I was like drinking from a freaking fire hose. Cause I had no idea what was going on. And I got a call from one of my old coaches. Like, I want you to come out and be my assistant um, at the U17 team at the national program. And I was like, Oh, like, that's pretty cool. And then I caught myself. I'm like, dude, the only difference is I'm going to be sitting in the front of the bus eating pizza, cutting video instead of sitting in the back drinking beers and eating pizza. So I'm like, you know what? I really appreciate it. But my goal in life is not to be an NHL coach. I like what I'm doing now. It's like my little coaching gig on the side. I love interacting with, you know, the younger kids today and trying to help them out, but I want to do something totally different. And that's, you know, that's kind of how it worked for me. Not saying that's right or wrong, but I've kind of found my niche as, as you know, as you can tell, I got the gift of gab. I can talk all day. Um, and that's kind of how it worked out for me. And it's different for everybody, but you got to have something you're, you're passionate about because besides, you know, the top 20 guys in the league or guys that are so financially responsible with what they're doing, you have to create a second career for yourself. You, you really do. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that you say that because uh, my buddy Matt Lashoff here in St. Louis and I, we played together in Providence and he played in the NHL and the KHL and kind of all over. We had him on this podcast, actually. And for anyone who's listening and haven't haven't listened to that episode, that was a really good episode with Matty. Um, but we're working with a company called the Warrior Transition Network with a guy by the name of Will Foy. And uh, Matt's actually going to sit on their board and I'm helping them in any way that I can. And what we've been talking, I actually was talking to Will this morning, is that it's very interesting, the parallels between uh, someone retiring from sports and a professional and someone in the military retiring. Like, it's very similar. Like, the military are kind of like, you know, they're told what to do and they train for it then they go do it but there's always that next generation those young guys coming up behind them that are hungry to kind of take their job and once they're out they've been told what to do and they've been so regimented and all this stuff they were training for one purpose their whole life and then now they're done with it and it's very similar to what you said you were doing one thing your whole life you were laser focused on it you know almost tunnel vision because you had to be and then, oh shit, I got injured or whatever. I'm done. I can't play at that level. I, you know, I don't want to. Now what? So he's trying to, with the Warrior Transition Network, create something for both athletes and military where it's that transition uh, state step helping people find out what they want to do. So I think, like you said, that's going to be a really big piece of uh, the puzzle here for retired athletes, for military, for anyone that's in that kind of line of work where it kind of takes up your whole life. Well, it's interesting you say that because I actually read a study about the military and, you know, there's a huge issue right now with veteran suicides. And so this study that was done um, they actually talk about how it's not necessarily even the PTSD uh, of why they commit suicide. It's actually the the lack of camaraderie that they used to have when they were in the military. Because those guys would literally take bullets for each other. You talk about team camaraderie and, and buy-in. Um, you know, that's that's what they miss when they come back and, and you know, they watch the news and they see everybody fighting and, and all that kind of stuff. And they're just like, they miss that that uh, that brotherhood and that bond with guys that they were in the foxhole with. And I think that's very similar to to pro, pro sports, too. You know, you form these bonds with guys. All of us can probably talk 
all day about guys that we've, we're best friends with from midget hockey to junior hockey to college hockey to pro hockey that we still keep in touch with. And that's a huge part of the transition too, is just not having that, um, that camaraderie that you've had for your entire life. <laughs> I agree. And actually, uh, I, I know last, I, he's up, he lives, uh, or he's originally from him and his brother are up East Greenbush, New York. That's also uh, North Country up near my parents. He's a heck of a player, too. Um, I haven't run into him in years, but that's pretty cool that he's doing that. Um, and I know he's an awesome guy, but I'm not going to sit here and try to compare it to the military and take away from what those guys do um, by any means because those guys are animals and, you know, very grateful for, for what those guys do. But at the same time, it is similar. And you know what? Guys, there's so much pressure on kids today and so much pressure on, you know, trying to get to that to that next level and obtain that ultimate goal, right? And some do it, some are kind of in the middle, and some don't do it. But either way, you know, it's nothing to apologize for. Listen, you got a goal, you go after it, and you don't make it, you don't make it. But just, you know, having a sounding board or some continuing to develop that transition. Cause like I said, I mentioned my buddy Colton or before and he's, he's doing great um, with, with a bunch of different stuff with the Rangers alumni. And even a guy like that, that's done pretty well financially and has a great family. He's just like, you know, was really looking for something to do. It's, you know, whether, whether you've made a, a ton of money or, you know, no money, not being with the guys every day and, you know, finally settling in and not having to plan for road trips or book dinners or playing rookie parties and do stuff like that. It's like, I was pretty much, you know, dropped in the middle of Connecticut for my job. And I was like, shit, I don't know anybody around here. What do I do? But you just gotta, you just gotta network and build your network and meet people. And I will say being, I had to step away from hockey for a while. because I just didn't, didn't just wasn't interested in it. But being back involved in hockey now, I mean, I get out of work and either go to a high school practice or I got a, a might team that I coach as well. It's 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 awesome. It's like we all say, it's the best sport in the world. and It's so much fun. And being back involved is great, but it is not it, it's just not an easy thing. And I think it it touches more guys, not only in hockey, but baseball, basketball, military, more people than we really think. So that that's awesome to hear that. You're doing that, Bex. I think it's. Uh, I think that's a huge, going to be a huge thing moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. I think it's pretty cool too. <laughs> so how you how you enjoying? Before we let you go, how you enjoying the youth hockey racket? You having fun with it? Yeah. Well, let's hear this. Holy shit! The freaking parents are nuts. <laughs> <laughs> that's, hey, that's why who I coach to our show. So good. <laughs> Hear it. Why? That's, what dri- what's driving you? What's grinding your ears? <laughs> that's uh, nothing. I, it's, that's not worth getting stressed out about. But it's like, oh, well, you know, little Johnny's got to move over here to go to. It's like, honestly, shut the hell up. All right. <laughs> if your kid's good enough, somebody will find him. All right. Whether he's, you know, going to be a top pick or a late bloomer, like the cream always rises to the top. But that's why I do the mites. Uh, because one, I don't need to go to those brutal USA hockey, uh, certification courses. All, <laughs> all I need is level one. Um, and mites are just stress-free. It's kids like that just love to be out there skating, stick handling, like they're hilarious. Um, but I mean, just listen, we're all nuts. We're all hockey people, but I mean, 
parents are just, uh, they're out of their goddamn minds. You know, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? I'm like, you shitting me? Like, dude, let your kid enjoy being with his friends, working on his game. And as long as he's coming out, working hard and like, he wants to go somewhere with hockey, he's going to go somewhere with hockey. And at the very least, you know what? Your kid's developing a work ethic and a passion and learning how to work on a team and work together and fight through adversity. And that's not such a bad thing because all those lessons and that type of character you build through team sports, whether it be hockey or something else, that's, you know, that those are life skills. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter that, you know, he got cut from the uh, A team and he's on the A1 team and you guys are going to have the earlier ice lap and you don't want to get up early. You know what I mean? But it's, you hockey and it was nuts when we all played and it still is nuts, but everything's magnified now with social media, and you know, rankings and this tournament and that tournament. But I'm just like, you know what? I'm not going to travel. I'll stay with the mites. So I don't have to deal with any of this. <laughs> Amen. I like that. I love the fact that you're coaching the mites too. I feel like we need more because I feel like a lot of the people that get out of it, um, like the, the, the really kind of experienced hockey people, they always want to coach the, the older kids, the midget teams and the Bantam teams and stuff. I think we need more people like you coaching the mites, and I think that's that's unreal that you're doing that, man. I think that's so cool. I mean, I like both. I do a little like before and after team with, uh, with some teams down here and in high school. So it's a good mixture of both. It definitely adds a lot to my plate with the work schedule. But, you know, going to the rink and, and grabbing a coffee and, you know, shooting shit and hanging out is, uh, it, it's always a fun time. It's cool being on the other side of it. I had my time and, uh, you know, finally, finally grow, grew up and, uh, working and being able to, uh, have fun and give a little bit of advice, uh, you know, on the old glass and out. I don't think that that's prevalent <laughs> in the game today, but guys, you want to learn that or, or know how to, uh, get, get your shots through quick from the point, you know, come see me in the office and we'll go out and do it. I love that. I love That's that. awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time to to chat with us here today. Your your story's awesome, and uh, this was a lot of fun for sure. So uh, I know you're doing really good things in the medical device sales uh, business right now, and and obviously giving back to to kids in your area too. So um, thanks for all that you do. Thanks for coming on, man. And uh, yeah, look forward to following you in the future too. Good stuff. And I wanted to say one more thing, if you guys don't mind. I appreciate. Uh, Appreciate the time. Always nice to catch up with you guys. I'll definitely have to follow you a bit more. But, uh, Bex, I'm sure you heard about uh, what happened with uh, a, a former Lancer buddy of mine, or I don't know if you know him, but was Matt Thurber last year. You hold about, you heard about that whole situation? Yeah, I played with his brother-in-law, Nick Deneen, in uh, Lillehammer. Okay, so I just wanted to give a, a shout-out to uh, – to Maddie, that was obviously a tough thing of, of his passing. It just uh, hit a year in this May, and I still keep in touch with uh, his wife and his baby there and the whole Thurber family. But I just want to give a shout-out to them. Um, I think about them daily, and uh, like I said, Bex, they're in our, our Lancer family, I guess, there. But um, hopefully he's he's watching down on all of us. He's a, he's a good kid, tough kid, hard worker, and uh, that's about it. I appreciate you guys taking the time. and. Good luck with everything. And, uh, Bex, anytime you want to talk a little career transition, give me a shout, buddy. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks a lot, buddy. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks, Nick. All right. All right. Be well, guys.